0: It happened on a Saturday night, around 9.15 p.m. It was leap year, 2020. A young man and his wife were driving home in Sykeston on a city street near a school. They were driving their SUV, a 2017 Chevrolet Equinox. Christopher Cohen was driving. His wife, Abigail, known by those close to her as Abby, was riding shotgun. She was not wearing her seatbelt. Abby worked at the License Bureau. She was going to Southeast Missouri State University, just about ready to graduate with a degree in criminal justice. Christopher was about ready to turn left at the three-way intersection. A man and two passengers were traveling west on Salcedo Road, near the Kindergarten Center, in a 45-mile-per-hour zone in a 2016 Dodge Challenger SRT Hellcat. Salcedo Road is something of a bypass road to the north of Sykeston, which connects the area just south of the Sykeston-JC Bootheel rodeo grounds to Highway 61, the primary north-south artery in Sykeston. According to vehicle event data recording, the driver of the car punched the gas. Five seconds before reaching the intersection, the gas pedal was pressed down 62%. The speed was 58 miles per hour. One second later, 470 feet from the intersection, the Hellcat was gaining speed. The driver smashed the gas pedal to the floor. The Hellcat raced to 67 miles per hour. Three plus seconds before the intersection, the rear tires lost traction. But the driver didn't slow down. He again plied the accelerator 100%, just one-tenth of a second after the tires regained traction. Two seconds before the intersection. Pedal to the floor. 85 miles per hour now. It's 107 feet from the stop sign. The Dodge is traveling 90 miles per hour. The driver sees the Equinox. It's too late. A swerve. A collision. By the time the Dodge collides with the Cohen's SUV, it's going between 76 and 83 miles per hour. The Equinox traveled 134 feet before coming to a stop. The vehicle left gouges in the pavement. The driver had doubled the speed limit. He blew a stop sign. The driver killed Abby Cohen. Five people were involved, all of them injured. Minutes after the wreck, the driver of the car was laying in the back of an ambulance. A police officer tried to obtain a portable breath sample from the driver, but the driver attempted to blow around the mouthpiece, according to a report associated with the case. The driver was intentionally trying to manipulate the result. The alcohol content registered at 0.072%, just short of the 0.08% required for a DWI charge. Officers tending to the scene smelled alcohol. The driver said he drank two beers an hour and a half before the accident. The driver then was required to do what's called a horizontal gaze nystagmus test. The driver, quote, began blinking his eyes at a rapid pace, unquote, and would not follow the stimulus any longer. Investigating officers detected four clues of impairment. At 10.07 p.m., less than an hour after the accident, The driver was placed under arrest before being transported to a Cape Girardeau hospital. The driver had gassed his muscle car as fast as it would go on a city street. He doubled the speed limit, he ran a stop sign, he injured five people, killing one. How do you think our justice system would handle such a suspect? How long do you think it would take for him to be tried or sent to prison? What if I told you the driver of the Dodge Challenger Hellcat was 47-year-old Andrew Cooper, the captain of the Sykeston Department of Public Safety? And what if I told you his trial has been delayed until 2023, which will be more than three years after the 22-year-old criminal justice student was killed instantly on that leap year night? Jama Ferguson, Abby's mother, doesn't think that's fair. I had the chance to interview Jama recently. We'll hear from her in just a minute. I'm your host, Bob Miller. You're listening to The Lawless Files.
1: I had just spoken to her about 8.30 and I asked her if she was at home because we had went and bought a truck and we were going to bring it by and let her see it. And she said, no, I'm not at home. She was at uh, her mother-in-law's, Teresa's, which is Chris's mom's. They were playing games. And um, then around 9.15, I was doing some work on my cameo or my silhouette. So I texted her and was asking her about it. And then we talked briefly then. So, around I don't even think she got my last text.
0: All right, we are here with Jama Ferguson. Jama, welcome to the lawless files. Uh, it's um it's a pleasure to to talk to you. I'm sorry, it's under these circumstances. Uh Jama is uh, the mother of Abby Cohen. Uh, who died in an automobile accident, a DWI, allegedly, um, on uh, what was it? February 29th of 2020. Um, so we're going to kind of just jump in uh, to, to some of these details. Jamie, I know this is hard. Um, I'm sorry in advance, but uh, it's also, you know, in the Lawless Files, we're talking a lot about justice and what that means and uh, how it seems to apply differently to some people than others, Very and well. uh, that that at least is what it looks like in this case to outsiders looking in. So, uh, obviously, as someone who's been on the inside of this, it's good to get your perspective. February twenty ninth was probably the worst day of your life. Worst day of my life ever. Yeah. Can um, before we get into to the accident, let's let's talk a little bit about Abby. You know, all all I know from the obit was that uh, I believe she was a manager at the, um, uh, Sykeston, uh, uh, license bureau. License bureau. Um, Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about her? Um, She was twenty two years old. Um, Yes. What, you know, where was she? What was she like? I know she was married. I guess uh,
1: she hadn't even been married a year. They got married uh, April the nineteenth, twenty nineteen. Um, they were married in Destin, Florida, on the beach. Um, she was a, a goofball. She was always smiling from ear to ear. She was also doing college online to, for uh, criminal justice. Oh, wow. She would have been graduating uh, that spring, I believe.
0: Is that from the academy or with a degree in criminal justice or what was that? Okay. Okay. That's, that just makes it hurt all the worse, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Wow.
1: Exactly what she was going into.
0: Okay. So, um, had plans, obviously, um, you know, to build a career in law enforcement, criminal justice. Mm-hmm. um and then that uh was it was it at, at nighttime am I yes guess, it was am I remembering that right mm-hmm. um on february 29th leap year
1: yes i oh. had just spoken to her about 8:30, and i asked her if she was at home because we had went and bought a truck and we were going to bring it by and let her see it and she said no i'm not at home she was at, uh, her mother-in-law's Teresa's, which is Chris's mom's. They were playing games. And, um, then around nine fifteen, I was doing some work on my cameo or my silhouette. So I texted her and was asking her about it. And then we talked briefly then. So around, I don't even think she got my last text. Which was around nine twenty
0: so obviously that's that's when the the accident happened um yes. we learned we learned a lot more about the accident later uh when the uh um collision report came out, but can you just briefly describe what what uh what happened it was at a intersection there in Sykeston. it was uh near, it's near a school correct
1: yes yeah, so it was in school um, on Columbine and Salcedo, uh, Chris and him were turning off of Salcedo, and Andy was coming up Columbine. Okay, I think that was the road. Yeah, Columbine Salcedo. He ran the stops. He was doing uh, anywhere between eighty three and eighty seven miles per hour, and in the report it said that he had lost control of his vehicle and regained control of it at 70 miles per hour. And then, um, from there on, he had punched it to the floor.
0: Yeah. So, um, it was a, uh, 2016 Dodge Challenger. The driver of that car is allegedly, uh, Andrew Cooper, who was a, uh, uh, Member of the Sykeston, uh, Department of Public Safety. He's been in law enforcement for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, Abby was the passenger, right in in right. the uh, twenty seventeen Chevy Equinox. Um, so the report said that the uh the Equinox was turning left onto eastbound South Sea. C- How do you say that? South Sal- Cedo. South Road. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like, uh, they were just, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of drag racing on that, on that street. And according to the report, it just, it doesn't even look like they, uh, stopped at the, at the stop sign. Um, can you describe how the, the extent of the damage to the vehicle, have you seen it? Uh,
1: Yes, it was very bad. Um you could see where her body hit the windshield. Um
0: the, you couldn't even tell what kind of car it was. The the vehicles collided and then they went off two different directions. Is that right?
1: Yes. They were they were hit head on. Uh, it slung them 137 feet. And then Coopers went off into the road where there was nothing and his caught on fire.
0: No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So which so she was the passenger. So um did they completely like I'm trying to figure out understand how the collision was made. She was uh or I say she, it was uh her husband. Um He was driving. Yeah, he was driving. That's uh Chris, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um so he was he was making a turn out of there uh, is it a left turn or a right turn left turn okay and then he was hit so it was he was making the turn and her side was hit correct no his side was hit. his his side was hit
1: yes his side was hit okay and she did not have a seat belt on
0: Oh um, no that's oh man uh, yeah That's so sad. Um, Did she die on the scene or was she taken to the hospital first?
1: She uh, died on the scene is what I was told. Okay. Because there was one of my friends that was working the crash and that was the first thing I asked her is, hey, are you working tonight? And she said, yes. And I said, can you find out if my daughter died instantly or if she suffered? And she said she died instantly. And uh, I've got the video where they went up to Chris and asked him if he was okay, which he wasn't. Um, It messed his pelvis up, his leg. He had a big gash on his forehead. Um, He was in a lot of pain. And uh, they asked him if he was alone, and he said, I think so, which he was in and out of consciousness. And uh, the EMTs went around, and they said, we've got an unresponsive female over here. And she was kind of in the floorboard, and her head was leaned over towards the console near the gear shaft.
0: So she died almost instantly. Um, Chris was taken to the hospital with se- severe injuries. How long yeah. was he in the hospital? Uh,
1: for a good four or five days. Okay. The EMTs did try to revive her. They worked on her for a good 30 minutes.
0: As far as the other vehicle, there were uh, several people in that vehicle as well, right? It was uh, Andy Cooper, who was the driver... or Correct. I mean, I've I've heard some people say that they don't that maybe he's trying to cover for his son, his son. potentially, um, <clears throat> but uh his his son was uh in the passenger seat. Is that correct? Or I'm not sure seat?
1: if he was in the passengers or if actually was in the passenger.
0: Okay. So how many? Let's see. There was
1: three people. There was Andy. There was Andrew and there was Ashley.
0: Okay. And all three of them were injured as well, correct? Yes. Yeah. So this was a major accident. You're talking about a city street. Uh, it was pretty pretty dark through there. I'm I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, school, two, zone. A school zone. School uh, zone. The the speed limit was um, what was it? Uh, I've got this article pulled up, so I'm kind of looking through it. Uh, okay. Forty, forty-five miles per hour speed limit. The report that was done by the highway patrol estimated the speed was double uh, the, the speed that the car was doing at some point was double that, close to ninety. Yes. Um.
1: He never brake.
0: Several professors at Bowling Green State University, led by Professor Phil Stinson, conducted a study in 2016 that looked into arrests of police officers. They now have a database that tracks such arrests through 2021. Bowling Green's database includes information on more than 18,800 criminal arrests from the years 2005 through 2021. The data is thorough, but incomplete. It's compiled from media reports, so many crimes are no doubt missing from areas where media is sparse or non-existent. But I wanted to read a couple of excerpts from the 2016 study, which was more than 600 pages long. Here's one excerpt. Surprisingly, little is known about the crimes committed by law enforcement officers, in part because there are virtually no official nationwide data collected, maintained, disseminated, and or available for research analysis. Researchers have utilized other methodologies to study police misconduct and crime in the absence of any official data, including surveys, field studies, quasi-experiments, internal agency records, and the investigative reports of various independent commissions delegated to report on this phenomenon within particular jurisdictions. These methodologies have thus far failed to produce systematic nationwide data on police crime. The lack of data on police crime is clearly a problem since the development of strategies to mitigate police crime in the least requires that they be documented and described in some sort of systematic and generalizable manner. From an organizational perspective, more comprehensive data could provide comparisons among agencies on rates of police crime and subsequently contribute to the development and implementation of policies to deter police crime and lessen damage to police community relations in their aftermath. So the study analyzed five years of data. It used news articles from Google Alerts and Google emails. It found the most common type of crime was violence-related with 3,328 arrests meeting that criteria. There are about 1,600 profit-related crimes, about 1,500 sex-related crimes, and about 1,400 arrests associated with alcohol. The study found 960 cases of police DUIs. Here's another excerpt. Sworn law enforcement officers engaging in drunk driving is a major problem and concern. There were 960 cases of police DUI arrests. These police DUI arrest cases largely provide examples of officers who have lost their exemption from law enforcement. That is to say, state and local sworn law enforcement officers do not typically arrest other sworn law enforcement officers, especially for drunk driving. In many of the police DUI arrest cases in this study, however, the drunk driving officer did something in terms of the incident events that led to being arrested. For example, many of the police DUI arrest cases involved traffic accidents, 51%, often resulting in victim injury, 24% or fatalities, 4%. Arrested officers are known to have lost their jobs as sworn law enforcement officers in less than one-third, or 29.8%, of the police DUI arrest cases. So again, half of the DUIs resulted in a crash, a quarter resulted in injuries, 4% resulted in deaths. Only 29% of the officers lost their jobs due to a DUI. Again, another excerpt. Cases in which sworn law enforcement officers act as criminals, whether dealing drugs or driving drunk or sexually molesting a vulnerable citizen, strike a direct blow to the law enforcement enterprise and the essence of what it means to be a law enforcement officer, protect and serve. These cases threaten to undermine public trust in both the authority and legitimacy of state and local law enforcement organizations, and the work of law-abiding sworn officers who go about their jobs selflessly, efficiently, and professionally every day. Police crime as a topic worthy of empirical study, however, is not clearly understood, and would probably be best described as untapped or at the very least not sufficiently explored. As we learned in a recent Lawless Files episode with former police chief Betty Frizell, in Missouri, police officers caught in unethical or illegal situations are often forced to resign rather than charged with crimes. That allows officers to retain their credentials and move on to other departments. In this case, Captain Andrew Cooper resigned, but he was charged with several crimes three months after the crash. The Sykes and DPS called in the Highway Patrol to investigate the off-duty captain. Likewise, a special prosecutor, Stephanie Watson, was appointed to handle the case, charging Cooper with one Class B felony of driving while intoxicated and causing a death, one unclassified felony count of armed criminal action, and three Class D felony counts of driving while intoxicated and causing serious physical injury. Cooper has pleaded not guilty to all charges. Before we get back to the interview with Jama Ferguson, I'd like to give a shout out to Ben Matthews, the former reporter at the Southeast Missourian, who worked really hard to bring much of this information out to the public. Thank you, Ben, for your hard work. So obviously, this is a a major accident in town devastating. We've got five people injured- mm-hmm. one dead. we've got an off duty police officer being the driver of the vehicle I'm sorry, go ahead say that again he was the
1: ca- he was the captain
0: yeah, the captain I should say yeah mm-hmm. i mean he was he's been in law enforcement a long time the captain yeah, yeah. of the the d p s how quickly is that something that you're thinking about? I mean, obviously it's a tragedy in the moment. Your daughter is dead, your son in law is severely injured. Um how long of a how long is it before your your mind starts thinking about the person who's responsible for this?
1: Not long at all. Yeah. It's an everyday thing.
0: Yeah kind of walk us through this this process. Obviously several laws appear to be have broken appeared to have been broken, I'm sorry. Um mm-hmm. what's what's going what's going through your mind? Uh what are what are you wanting accomplished? How did things play out? Um I mean, obviously the reason we're doing this podcast right now is is that trial is now scheduled for next summer. 2023 you know that's over three three years from the time of yes. the accident so i kind of want people to understand how this process kind of played out so can you kind of take us through that well
1: first of all he's not been behind bars at all uh his bond was the lowest bond i've ever seen in my life a uh, twenty thousand dollar bond uh He turned himself into New Madrid County. Uh, He had two lawyers. And then they wanted to take his ankle monitor off. And that was back in January of last year, which um, we fought to keep it on. And it was kept on until June 28th. We didn't know nothing about it. We had no warning that they were gonna even meet or have a web index. And then we get an email saying that his brain bracelet is taken off. Um, uh, they're allowing him to have a hardship license to drive back and forth to work. I mean, you killed somebody and you can go ahead and drive back and forth to work.
0: Let's let's rewind it a little bit because uh we've I've skipped over an important part. And, and that is that um, that night police uh, who were taking care of the scene, which was highway patrol um, are, they began suspecting DWI. Yes. And so they wanted him to do a breathalyzer test. And according to the, the report that I've seen, um, he kind of, it, it appears the way they've written it, that he kind of intentionally kind of sabotaged that by not sealing his mouth around it when he blew into it.
1: Yeah. He manipulated it. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. And then, I mean, that's his job.
0: Yeah. So then later, um, they took blood samples. Um
1: six hours later.
0: Yeah, six hours later. So now like I, I, I don't know that I've seen that, but um at that time they were not really high levels, but you have to kind of rewind the clock in order to figure out, you know, how much he had been drinking. Um, but the officer said that they smelled alcohol, um, and, and those types of things.
1: Yes, they did.
0: Yeah. They said it was very strong. He clearly, according to the report written by police, tried to avoid doing that breathalyzer. Mm -hmm. And, um, did not immediately, you know... Um, Asked
1: for a search warrant for drug, blood to be drawn.
0: At any rate, those things were av- avoided and dodged uh, the, the night of the, the crime. Yes. Um, and so now we get into the the actual investigation stage. Special prosecutor was appointed. Um, this happened in Scott County. The Scott County prosecutor, I don't know if recuse herself is the right word, but yes, um, a a special prosecutor was appointed because nobody wanted to touch the case. Yeah. And it's a it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. You know, um, I can I can understand why a local prosecutor because they got to work with the cops and then there's public perception, those types of things. Anyway, so it was it was handed off charges were charges were filed May 22nd. The bond was set at $25,000. What I'm trying to get to is a court date was set for July 27th of 2022. Right. That's already two two plus years. Yeah. Um what what kind of information are you getting during this time? I'm sure you're wanting to get this get justice done, get it over with and move on, right? Right what's been the story like why is this taken so long
1: because he uh has a new lawyer so now the new lawyer needs time to catch up on everything
0: okay so when did he get a new lawyer
1: i guess um sometime before the trial date was supposed to start um Let's see, March the 28th? was it March. I try not to keep up with it, but I didn't know until Stephanie or Jamie had emailed me and told me that everything was going to be put off because he was getting a new lawyer, and they thought that it might be maybe six months. Well, that six months turned into a full year.
0: Okay, because the article that I read said it was – um it seemed like it was the judge's decision or the prosecutor's decision yeah i didn't know it had anything to do with getting a new lawyer so, i mean 3 years it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem like that's um that's just um yeah. i mean just what what are your thoughts on this on this whole process knowing your knowing your daughter was going into criminal justice she wanted to do this for a living what are your thought process what's your thought process on how this whole thing has played out um uh, i'm
1: absolutely not a very happy camper or a mother um uh, i'm totally aggravated at the system and how long this has taken which i know these cases i've read on mad they can take you know up to three years sometimes longer um This is pretty much cut and dry. Why he pled not guilty. I don't know. But if it was me. Or you. We done been in prison. And that's how I feel. Um. I don't know how he can live with himself.
0: I guess when you have a death involved in a a DWI, maybe it's long, but it just, just doesn't seem like DWIs should take this long. Um, I've seen yeah. murder cases not take nearly this long.
1: Well, the first excuse that I got was um, it was taking a while because he was injured and he had a colostomy bag, and they didn't want the expense of that. Okay, I understand that. Let the man heal. You know, I'm alright with that. But if you're able to go to work and you're able to drive, you're able to be sitting in a prison cell. I mean, I went to the crime scene the next day and I could see parts of his car, parts of my daughter's car, all the skid marks. And there was beer cans. And we know Chris wasn't drinking.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> just It's very aggravating. I don't know if I was surprised or not, but um, he was suspended without pay from the Sykston DPS almost immediately. Did that surprise you? No. No.
1: They knew to let him go with his pay and you know, all of that he had earned, all of his benefits before he went to court. That's why they terminated. Him. So he can still get off his benefits.
0: You, you all live in East Prairie, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Which is about what, how, how far from Sykeston, 20 minutes or so? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So you're probably not too, as familiar with Sykeston police and how things are handled over there um, pretty shady what do what do you hope I mean, I guess now like what what's what situation are you in now like where, where's the fan you just waiting are you just waiting for justice to happen?
1: yes, waiting to get this over with, yeah, so we can have some closure.
0: I don't know if this is even a fair question for you but do you think this this kind of behavior where you're driving ninety miles per hour, you're an officer driving ninety miles per hour in a forty five zone, nine o'clock at night it's dark and you blow a stop sign do you what What do you think that says about the type of behavior from a a police officer? Do you think that this kind of stuff happens more often than we th- and we know or any ideas on that
1: i'm pretty sure it happens more than we know uh, i've heard he's even been out in bars drinking already
0: yeah I, i've i've heard stories about uh officers you know covering the uh boot heel rodeo sitting around and drinking and yeah you know driving off later you know things like that yeah Um, me too it it just doesn't seem like I don't know this is just my opinion but it just doesn't seem like a police officer whether he's off duty or on duty should even be in the mindset Mm -mm. to drive erratically like that no you know absolutely not I mean, even if they had their lights on and flashing and they were chasing somebody, going 90 miles per hour down a city street is just reckless. Mm
1: -hmm. Very reckless.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. To me, that says something about the, at least this officer, about his view on the law. Yeah, it Um, does. You know, and, and he's the captain of this police department. I mean that's a high position within the DPS.
1: You would think his behavior would be much better than that.
0: Exemplar, yeah, it, you know setting an example.
1: Uh, he's arrested guys for the same thing.
0: Oh sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that it. It's just a bad deal all around. It is. Yeah. How about the rest of your family? Are they you know are they upset too? Is is. You know, are yes, are, yeah. Are we going to be um, looking at a a lawsuit at some point?
1: I thought about suing uh, the city of Saxton for discrimination because in uh, the video that I have, mm-hmm. they were working on Chris and Abby, and Andy and Andrew and the Ashley guy were over on the side. And one of the police officers kept asking, is that Cooper's car? Is that Cooper's car? And the other police officer turned around and he said, yes, it is. Stop broadcasting it. Like, who's not going to find out? It's definitely going to be on the front page of the news, you know, the next morning.
0: Right. Um, Again, I'm not a lawyer. I I don't even want to play one on a podcast, but... Um, the level of negligence that was shown here is off the charts
1: i mean the e m t s they did their job, they worked on her, and I'm very grateful for them working on her as long as they did. I mean, there was four of them they took turns doing c p r They definitely tried their hardest, but I mean there was you no know, saving her,
0: yeah, and then uh, you have Chris who was in the hospital for five days and you know it's none of my business but i'd hate to think that he's financially hit you know from medical bills over this you know yeah you know so um
1: um he uh kept asking uh where his wife was while they were putting him on the stretcher and they kept saying she's over there we're working on her and that's all he kept asking about is where's abby where's abby where's my wife and it it just it breaks your heart because they had a love like no other i mean they were like a match made in heaven
0: yeah Yeah, it's just it's uh it's heartbreaking i mean
2: there's just no A. word.
0: There's just no words to it. But man, I mean, for him now to have to live with the trauma of the accident itself, and yeah, because he's seen him pulling around the car,
1: and uh, it's, it's something you don't want to see. Which I kept telling myself I was not going to buy the video, but uh, I made myself do it. So I could prepare myself for when we do go to court, not breaking down. And it is horrible to see them sitting there working on your first child. who was only 22 years old. It's just, I mean, her little brother is devastated and her
0: sister. So you, uh, she has two siblings. Yes. Both younger?
1: Yeah, she has a 21-year-old sister and a nine-year-old little boy- brother. Uh, He was her world. Oh. She was his world. We were uh, a couple of weeks before the wreck happened, which my little boy has Down syndrome. And we, my husband and I had decided that you know, we were going to have papers drawn up that if anything ever happened to either of us, Abby would uh, have custody of him. And then
0: that didn't happen. Well, this is a, you know, this is a grim reminder just to everybody out there, whether you're a cop or not, you know, for Pete's sake, don't drink and drive. Don't drive recklessly. Don't be blowing stop signs. I mean, this has, this stuff has real consequences. You know, it's ripped, it's ripped a family apart here. A young woman has lost her life. You know, little brother's lost a big sister. My yeah. husband's lost his, you know, it's just it, the, the trickle of, of what can happen. Um, they're just, it's just a powerful, terrible earthquake that happens within a family and you know never get over it so
1: no, it changes your life forever
0: yeah especially in today's world and we've got ride shares you know out there you know uber you know there's no sense of getting in that in that car you know drunk in in today's world no there's no sense in it yeah Is there anything else about this case that you want uh, to talk about? Anything that I didn't bring up?
1: I don't think so.
0: Okay. Well, hey, it was, uh, like I said, it's a pleasure talking to you. I'm sorry that this, you know, I know that it's an emotional wreck. Um, Anytime we bring all this stuff up again, I'm sorry to do that to you.
1: Oh, you're fine.
0: Lawless Files is a production of Leadhound Publishing, LLC.